0: Before we get started, people have asked us during this quarantine, during this uh, slowdown, during the time when people don't want to get on airplanes, are we still doing private workshops for the Story brand messaging workshops? Can we still send you a facilitator? To help you clarify your message. Well, we actually can and we still are. There are some companies who are able to do it. We can, you know, we've got facilitators all over the country. There's a chance somebody can drive to you or even be in your town. If you want to use this time to get a group of people into a room and clarify your message so that it's crystal clear and actually works as you are climbing out of this recession. You can schedule a workshop, just go to storybrand.com slash private workshop, storybrand.com slash private workshop. We can also do that workshop for a discounted price virtually. Our workshop facilitator will literally come in on the big screen TV in your conference room, or you can do it through Zoom, and we found that that has been unbelievably effective and a great value. So either in-person private workshop or a virtual private workshop is still available if you'd like for everybody to experience the StoryBrand marketing workshop. Just go to storybrand.com slash private workshop today. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host Dr. JJ Peterson. Hi, JJ. Hello, Don. JJ. Recently, you and I were involved in an exercise mm-hmm. in which we were, you know, war rooming new content.
1: Yes, a war room is when we get a you bunch. You of get a people, bunch of smart people in a room, in a room and you start room, knocking and it we out. spend a day just like fighting at it. <laughs> yeah. Fighting it,
0: getting the, whatever it is that we're creating, created. Yeah. And we are working on a new piece of content called zero to 10. Mm-hmm. And it's about how to get a company from zero to 10 million. Yeah. And we'd been working on this for months and yeah. we finally got together to actually review our content and we felt good about it. You know, things like how do you fix execution? Yeah. What you do about sales, you know, hiring talent management and ultimately what it looked like was a really neat step by step, baby step way of getting to, from zero to 10 million. Yes.
1: And then we realized it's, like it's a clear path. It's this easy.
0: <laughs> then we realized that everything in our content was stuff that we never did going from zero to 10 yeah, million. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we did after. Like, we didn't use it beforehand, but after we reali- after we kind of had grown, we realized, oh, this is what we should be this doing. This is what we should have done <laughs> yeah. last, last, last year. year yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, what we realized was if we are going to tell the truth yeah. about getting a company from zero to 10 million, that there's a controlling idea. Yeah. And the controlling idea is in order to get from zero to 10 million, you will have to be comfortable... Managing chaos, yes, (laughs) because that's what it is. Yep, it is chaos, Mm -hmm. and so we reverse engineered the entire content to actually show what we really did, yeah. And what we really did was from zero to one million, we were obsessive about sales, we Mm -hmm. were obsessive about cash, getting cash in the bank any way you can, yeah. You know, and you're literally. I'm taking speaking gigs that have yeah. nothing to do with our mission. You were flying all over the country. All over the country. Yep. Just We just needed cash. I was
1: on the phone for about 20 <laughs> hours a week with coaching calls. I was taking individual businesses right. doing coaching calls.
0: <laughs> People would be like, I can't afford to pay you, but I'll send you a fruitcake. We're like, yeah. we're on. We'll yeah, do it. So we're doing it. How much time do I you love want? love
1: fruitcake and donuts. Fruitcake. You can love a fruitcake for a month. The amount of times I got paid in donuts <laughs> for a coaching
0: call. <laughs> Anything to get money in the door. Yeah. Then one to five uh-huh. was the next phase. And that was really more. You know, zero to one was igniting chaos. Mm-hmm. One to five was managing chaos. Mm-hmm. And you're really, it's still chaos, but now yeah. you're trying, you're putting people into certain seats. They can manage these eight divisions. Yeah. We're inventing new products, all those kinds of things. You're managing chaos. Your cash flow is healthy. It's always scary. If you're not scared about cash flow, you're not going to make it. But it was always healthy. And then from five to, you know, essentially 13, where we went, it was about harnessing chaos. So yeah. It was about all the interest that was coming in and being able to wisely make decisions and harness the incredible energy of something going well. And we're going to release a piece of curriculum called Zero to Ten. It's not, I'm not selling it because it's not out yet. We're going to release a course called Zero to Ten, and we're going to release a book called Zero to Ten that's going to guide people through these three phases of, yeah. of the chaotic journey of scaling up a company.
1: Because there is magic in chaos when you know how to stick I think if, you don't, well. if it
0: doesn't create chaos, nobody's interested.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's <laughs> I mean, Really? The like yeah. it's, the luxury of being able to do things in the right order means that you have something called venture capital. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Private equity. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody is handing you boatloads of cash so that you can kind of agitate and create interest in what you're doing. Yeah. But if you're stringing it together, like most of us are, out of our own personal checkbook, it's going to be chaotic, and and I think it's a good thing. Yeah,
1: chaos doesn't mean haphazard. No, that, no, no. Like, no. please don't misunderstand that. Like, that doesn't mean you're just like it's crazy and it's wild and you're just doing idiotic things without thinking about. It. No, no, no. Chaos does not mean haphazard. Or without intention, it just means that there is some magic in the idea of letting something flow in a way that you don't have complete control over. Right. <laughs> you know. And
0: now we're we're going from you know thirteen million. I don't know what our next goal is. We're we're talking about hundred million, but but you know, let's, let's say twenty five. It actually doesn't feel chaotic anymore. Yeah. It feels, what'd you call it though? I don't even know. I'm just, I hate to ask you that.
1: Well, you said harnessing the chaos is kind of the next phase that we've been in because yeah. we're still learning and there's still some things, but I would say the next phase is really, I mean, it's about the growth mindset. It's like taking, it's moving from kind of reactionary to yeah. many things to moving to intentionality and moving forward in new ways.
0: Yeah. For me, it's channeling energy. Yeah. So you go from managing chaos to channeling energy, which yeah. by the way, you sleep a lot better when you're channeling energy yeah. than you do you <laughs> do Managing (laughs) gas. but I just think you know, getting a space shuttle or a rocket out of the atmosphere, yeah, is violent.
1: Yes, it is
0: violent. It is loud and gutsy. You're burning an enormous amount of fuel. You got little guys in a tin can that are being beat around. Yeah, (laughs) they're strapped to their seat. That's what it is. And then finally, you're up there, and you're like, okay, now let's manage this experience. And I, I just think that's how a business really gets started. There will be people who will tell you. You know, you start it this way or here's what's very important. Those people are coming out of Harvard business. They've been consultants with people who started companies, and they've never actually sat in the cockpit and been shot into space. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we wanted to tell the truth. And so uh, one of the people that I've befriended and who has been just unbelievably kind to Betsy and I are Kurt and Nancy Richardson, one of the couples that have been kind to us. And uh, we met Kurt and Nancy because Betsy serves as chairman of the board of an anti-human trafficking organization called Rescue Freedom, and Nancy is on that board. He started a company called Otterbox.
1: Just a little company. A little
0: company called, called Otterbox. Otterbox. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> My and,
1: very first phone case was an Otterbox. Was it? Yep.
0: They took over the industry Yeah. and made a lot of money, billions of dollars. And then from there, I can't remember, but he's probably got big holdings in about 25, 20 35 little startup companies. He started a number of companies. Yeah, he's he's got a liquor brand out of Colorado. He's got a little airline. Yeah. He's got a bunch of stuff going on. What I love about Kurt is he is absolutely down to earth. I mean, he's... He's yeah. more interested in hunting an elk than he is in <laughs> <laughs> just about anything yeah. else. And if this thing isn't buying quality of life and impact around the world and making a better world, he's just not remotely yeah. interested. Yeah. So he's got the most amazing heart, and he's generous, 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 not just with his dollars. He's generous with his wisdom. Yeah. And the whole time I'm interviewing him and you're about to hear this interview, I just thought he gets it. He knows about the chaos, and he knows how to manage it. If you are wanting to scale your company or you secretly dreaming about this thing going to a billion or even a 1000000 you <laughs> uh-huh. you're going to be inspired by this interview because there's not a lot of people. Most people reverse engineer their past and make it cleaner than it was, which is unhelpful Yeah, <laughs> because the rest of us feel like we're not doing it right. When the reality is we were getting our helmets busted around inside of a tin can being shot into space, yeah. he gets it. And uh, I love this conversation. So there's a lot of practical wisdom in here, but a lot of inspiration too. This is my conversation about scaling up a business and having something take off on you and what that feels like, the pitfalls, the highs and lows of getting a successful company off the ground. Wonderful conversation. Here's my conversation with Kurt Richardson from OtterBox. Kurt Richardson, thanks for joining us. You bet. Glad to be here. You and I talked six months ago. I think we had dinner, and and you said something that has stuck with me all that time, and I was hoping to explore it with you while our listeners were, uh, were paying attention here. You said that you doing your life plan, you figuring out your life plan, was foundational for the success of your company and your companies, that the CEO, knowing why they exist, what their purpose is, that that was foundational. Can you unpack why that's so foundational?
2: Sure. Let me back up a little bit. Yeah. So it wasn't a life plan at the time because I wasn't even aware of life plans at that time. Pete, my brother, hadn't really, he was probably just getting started, but I hadn't done mine yet. Mine was focused around emyth. I don't know if you're yeah, familiar I with e am. E-myth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they have uh, what's called the primary aim is part of the process and it was fundamental that I came to grips with who I was and what really mattered to me and what was foundational as far as my inner compass, what was driving me and what would drive me and drive my vision for a company, um, had to come from my heart and not my head. So that process within EmIth was fundamental for me, coming to grips with exactly what that was for me.
0: Yeah. And what was it for you? I'm curious. You've told me, but I think everybody would be curious.
2: Yeah, I wrote it down. I exist to help others discover their gifts, who they are, who God created them to be, and how do I put a place in form That allows them to do that and that would be whether it's structure the actual building whether it be a culture a vision uh, primary aim as far as how do i put a culture and a place in place for people to discover who they are who they want to be which is a whole nother subject and who they're meant to be and for me that's exhilarating when somebody discovers that Because for me, that was really the essence of Otter in many ways.
0: Otter was just the tool that you used so that people could figure out what makes them come alive. Is that fair to say?
2: Yes. It was a byproduct of that desire for me. Before
0: that, before you figured that out, I remember talking to Coach Pete Carroll uh, of the Seahawks. And he said that early on he experienced some success and that was fun, but then it, it had a law of diminishing returns. And it wasn't until he discovered that he could help other people win that he really found a sense of meaning in life. Do you have a similar story where you know you figured that out, built OtterBox, and everybody at OtterBox does a life plan if they've been there for a year, or at least they're able right, to. Right, And that's part of them helping them figure out who they are, how they're wired, what makes them come alive, which makes you come alive. But before you figured that out, you were probably successful, and was there a sense of emptiness or longing for something more that led you to uh, discover this process of figuring out who you are
2: first? Yeah. Well, for me at that time, what I was going through was really trying to figure out how do I build a company that is successful in, I don't want to say for me, but for the whole. What does that look like, smell like, taste like, feel like, You know, and that that goes clear into brand, which we're going to talk about, which for me, I don't know that you can really develop a brand in a really real, genuine way with high integrity unless you have vision and culture and core values that support that. I know at company meetings, I've said before, you know, Otter Otter owns uh, almost... 50% 50% of every dollar spent on a case in the United States That's is an Otterbox or a Life proof box case. But it really and the reality is we just make plastic parts. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. We make plastic parts. We do it really well. But we've built a brand, but to me there's more. A brand has to resonate to somebody in a in a way when they touch the product, when they feel the product, when they see the product there's something about it that goes deeper than just a plastic part.
0: Your vision, your core values, what was that process like in creating those?
2: You know, it took a lot of time. I really wrestled with it. I wrestled with the primary aim, what, what we talked about just a little bit about. And to me, that was just the foundation and it had to be the The rod or the staff that you hold up, you know, that says Mm -hmm. this is my stake in the ground. Everything has to resonate with that. So the vision—I had never really painted a vision before for Otter or for any of the other companies I had. I I didn't really go into depth with that. And uh, my brother Pete was a big instrument in helping me do that. He kind of walked through that process with me. He's such a great writer and. I would say Pete hears things in the room that people aren't saying mm. and gets that down on paper and he really helped me do that. He really we took a whole day and mm. and and even more time after that to really just kind of tear apart, you know, a vision to me is this is where I've been, this is where I am, and this is where I'm going. And how do you set that framework so people start to believe it so they buy into it so they get it and for years uh, at every company meeting i would take parts of the vision and i would speak that into the business and i would do it repeatedly i felt like i was repeating myself but i was always amazed how many people said oh my god that was so good and so amazing and and that that really hit home with me so I realized I had to keep repeating it over and over. I couldn't just read it once or put it down on a piece of paper and expect people to digest it. You had to just keep speaking the vision into the company.
0: This morning, I I went out to the writing shed. I've got this little 10 by 12 shack out in the backyard. I read through the synopsis of my life plan. It's just three and a half pages, but it's it starts with the obituary, right? You write your own uh-huh. obituary like Yeah, Steve and, and that's
2: kind of the same in the process with e You do the same thing.
0: Yeah, and then it goes 10 years. What is life like in 10 years? What's the life of five years? What's it like in one year? And then what are you working on now? And it takes about five minutes to read it. Well, the shed that I I do this in is surrounded by Carolina jessamine. It's ivy that is growing all over this shed. And there's this framework of, of metal that I've put all over the shed so the ivy can grow on it. And I'm literally sitting there reading it, and the other day I realized this is the metal framework. Like What you're reading is the empty metal framework that your life is going to grow onto. Right. And if you read it every day, you're literally training the vine to grow onto this thing. And if you stop reading it, it'll start growing off onto the neighboring tree and kill the tree. But uh, uh, that is how it works with a vision. You can't just say it and then put it in a binder and and expect it to be magical. Company owners, CEOs, leaders have to repeat it over and over because you're literally training all these vines to grow up into this future that you you have planned. Did you see it that way? Did you see it that you're actually kind of training these vines to grow on this thing?
2: Yeah, and not just them. I had to, to be reading it all the time to be training myself to be setting it into my heart, into my mind, so that it became natural part of conversation. You know, it had to become part of our company language. It had to be, I had heard at one time that, it, you know, most employees, you're lucky if you get them to buy into 10% of what you're saying. I think at Otter, we get way over that percentage as far as people really engaging and diving into an understanding vision, understanding mission understanding core values of how we're going to act and how we're going to treat each other. And that is because we continually repeat them over and over. It's part of our language. So I think the vision, I know the vision that your core values, who you are, how you're going to act has to become part of your language, your rhythm within a business for it to really be successful.
0: Did you have investors when you started OtterBox or venture capital, private equity, or anything like that?
2: You know, I had some very passive investors. I, You know, in the early days of Otter, I went out, found some people, paid them ridiculous amount of interest every month, huh. you know, That's and yeah it was, but you know what it was more painful for them when I paid them off so, <laughs> so uh, right now we the only investors in otter is our family, Nancy and the boys and daughter in law so that's that that's whose ownership.
0: I ask because a lot of times when somebody starts a company and they're using private equity money or you know just venture capital money, they have this luxury of being able to kind of uh Create a bunch of swag and logos and have big parties and all that kind of stuff and do stuff that no entrepreneur would ever yeah. do with their right. own money. And, you know, I wondered if how important the vision casting and repeating the vision was in order to get the fire started. I look at starting a company like starting a fire. You've got to start with really small bits of kindling. You've got to make sure that it's extremely flammable. You got to make sure none of the wood is wet. You got to make sure everybody knows what we're doing. And you got to blow on that fire all the time so it gets enough oxygen and air to get going. Right. And with private equity, you don't have to do that. You just have this gas burner that you turn on and you can, the wood can be soaking wet. And eventually it's going to light because you got money coming out the Yazoo, which I believe you're just wasting your investors' money at that point. I agree. But I wonder how did you get the thing started? You have actually debt that you're paying interest on, so it might even be in some ways harder to get it started. What were the early foundational focus? Were you thinking sales all the time, marketing all the time? How do we get orders all the time? How did you split your time between the necessity of getting money in the door and this idea of a greater, broader vision?
2: Sure. That's a great question because early on, I was wearing every hat possible. So, when we first started Otter, we were actually a manufacturing company. We had our own molding machines, our own tool and die shop, and at some point it was like we can't do everything. Uh, manufacturing's not scalable and I wanted to focus on design and sales and marketing.
0: Real quick, how big were you at that point when you cuz that that does feel like a decision where you've got some capital to be able to move things overseas or you know, most companies when they grow, they pick a part of their company to stick with, and the rest they job out. How big were you at that point?
2: Well, we were probably—I'm going to say about three to four million in revenue was all. So pretty small. Big, pretty small, and a big part of that revenue was actually inj- custom injection molding. Didn't have anything to do with Otter.
0: Ah, you were just doing that for other clients.
2: I was doing that to put food on the table. Oh, yeah. You know, so. That was a huge decision, and at the time, I did have a partner, and I did have uh, plenty of debt with a bank for machinery and everything else, and this was right after the whole dot-com disaster. Um, so we uh, decided to get out of manufacturing, which was a huge deal because we had 18 presses you know, from 50 tons to uh, 1,000 tonne. And it was like, hey, okay, well, what are we going to – we had to sell everything. So we sold all the equipment. And after we sold it, I still owed the bank three hundred grand. And I had a partner that wanted to be bought out, wanted to go do his own thing. And that cost me another three hundred grand. So here now I'm in an office with uh, six people in Old Town, Fort Collins, with $600,000 worth of debt that's not producing anything. It's just paying off sins of the past to say – but we had product. The brand was starting to get traction. It was starting to grow. Um, we had our boxes. We had a cigar caddy, so we had a line of humidors. We had PDA cases, which for the PDA was just really coming on You know, with handspring, palm yeah. pilot, yeah. iPacs, things like that, and some early tablet work as well. But again, it was all about waterproof, rugged. That's where we focused in the early days. Today people still think otter boxes are waterproof and they're not. You know, you
0: know. <laughs> That's a customer you know. service problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, luckily a lot of the handheld devices are waterproof yeah, for yeah. a, wi- for a while for a while till you sit on it, you know, then it's no longer waterproof.
0: As you moved from kind of tooling for other companies and your product started succeeding. At that point, did you hire an outside firm to do marketing and and pour a little fuel on the fire, or did you hire a sales team to pour a little fuel on the fire, or did you hire product reps, or did you outsource your product reps? How did you get Because now we got some kindling, and it's burning, and we got to get a log on the kindling.
2: Right. So what I did was we took everything in-house, we hired salespeople, and we basically dialed for dollars. Yeah. Dialed for dollars. We put guys on the phone. They're calling scuba shops, they're calling outdoor shops, they're calling uh, electronic shops, you know. We're doing a lot of uh, online PR, getting a lot of PR written about our products. I was not doing conventional marketing. Marketing was very guerrilla-like. Gorilla Marketing was one of the first books that I read about marketing. Well,
0: and it's arguably the most effective form of marketing if you're a sub, say, $500 million company.
2: Yeah, and that was us. We definitely were that. So we hired right out of school a a young woman who now has her own agency that came in and uh, really, with her group, made huge impact with PR. Online was just really starting online sales back in the day. I can remember some of our first sales i mean even two thousand dollars a day we were we were ringing the bell and (laughs) waving the flag that's awesome yeah (laughs) i think i think today you know in in times like this otter's doing you know 200 to five hundred thousand a day you know online so times have changed but um the process hasn't changed all that much but online uh advertising again it came down to PR, word of mouth, we gave away in the early days tons of product. I mean, our sales guys would be on planes and they'd be passing out cases to people on the plane. And just giving away product, I always felt that was a better dollar spent than print advertising.
0: That's interesting. One of the
2: things I always stressed in the early days is we are not going to spend any money on marketing unless we can measure it and know that it had impact. I'm not spending a penny on anything else, and we didn't for years. As
0: the owner of a company that educates and trains marketers, I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more, and we teach all of our certified marketers that your job is not to do marketing. It's to make your client money, and our enemy are all these marketers out there who take your money and make you a pretty website that doesn't get you any kind of return. I think that's brilliant. I think it's so smart.
2: We were always looking every day at numbers. How are we driving revenue with the investment we're making, it panned out. I mean, we measured everything in the early days. I will tell you, as we got bigger, we hired people that didn't do that. Hmm. And we might as well have put money in a campfire and lit it on fire. I mean, I look back and I uh, the millions of dollars that went away because of just stupid marketing. Do
0: you agree that, because I kind of feel this way too, that I have never succeeded or had a successful attempt in my attempts to hire a rescuer. What I mean by that is I don't really understand this. Let me find somebody who can rescue me. And I've always, it's never worked and I've always had to come back and say, okay, I've got to go do a deep dive and actually understand this so that I can actually monitor whoever I hire who's doing this. Does that, I mean, you can't do that when you get super big, but early on it seems like you've just got to know what's actually happening with the money.
2: I think we were trying to hire an expert and we, forgot that we were the uh, expert
0: you didn't trust your own intuition <laughs> we and didn't
2: experience. yeah we hired people we hired a, uh, somebody from i think they had been at toro or black and decker and you know they came in and they just man they like spending money i mean <laughs> you know we had we had tons of people at otter doing marketing and they were all hiring agencies out there to spend even more money yeah it was an, an unreal burn and you know, I don't have anything against them. I'm just saying, I, looking back, that was absolutely not the right way to do it. Well, you survived, thankfully. Yeah, we did. We did. There were some times that were pretty hairy.
0: I'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Kurt Richardson in just a moment. As you climb out of this recession, you'll want to make sure one thing is true, and that is your team is aligned. None of us can afford to be confusing anymore. We have to have a clear message that everybody understands. Is your entire team aligned around a common mission? If you answer, I don't know, or no, we've got a tool for you. Go to alignyourteam.com. Three free videos that will help you align your team and get buy-in all around a crystal clear message. If your team isn't aligned around a common message, you're wasting money. Go to alignyourteam.com right now. Watch the videos. See if they'll be helpful for your team. They've been helpful for a lot of other teams. Clarify your message and you'll climb out of this recession a lot faster. It's your competitive advantage. Go to alignyourteam.com. When the money started coming in, how did you figure out percentages, or I'm not sure what you did, but of the money that would go back into the company? Did you decide to become a low-profit growth company, or did you and your wife, Nancy, say, we're going to put away a nest egg here, and then we'll figure out what to do? How did you figure out how to manage personally, the personal side, financial side
2: of growth? Okay, so here's the deal. Otter didn't grow at a normal rate, Otter grew exponentially at uh, warp speed. So we went, we went from what I said, the 2 million to 5 million to 12 to 27, to 75, mm-hmm. to 200 million, 500 million, and over a billion in a matter of seven to eight years.
0: That's amazing.
2: What was I mean? What was that like
0: for you? Did you ever? I know you well enough to know that you didn't do this. But there have been times when my company has had a significantly good day, and I'll actually have a little trouble going to sleep that night because I'm just like, "Are we supposed to be making this kind of money? Are we supposed to?" You know, that's like, yeah. Was how was that for you? A thousand times anything I've ever dealt with. But what was that like?
2: Well, when you grow like that, you can't uh, go. I'm going to take a bunch of chips off the table here. Because the fact that you're building systems, right? Yeah. You're building systems. You're we were we were blowing through systems as quick as you'd build
0: something and tool it, and then all of a sudden, before you even got to use it, it was done.
2: It was done. It was like our headquarters. We were building a new headquarters, and before we got halfway through it, Nancy goes, uh, "You know what? We won't fit. We bought another building. We today we have a whole campus on about three city blocks." you know and it was just because we just blew through everything now today we're in a different market you know we at that time we were in a rocket ride today we you know our market has definitely gone down not because of the virus but more because people are keeping their phones longer and every so we're in a we're in a different stage of growth as a company it's sort of stabilized oh it's dropped it dropped uh, significantly from a billion in revenue to you know're 700 million I mean a lot of people would die to have a company that size but we've certainly gotten more profitable because our system we've had time to really refine our systems and our processes and not that they're perfect they're never perfect we're they're always going to break and I know our, our CEO today Jim Park the one thing I told him when I asked him to take over was, you know, when well, you have a good day, uh, enjoy it <laughs> because tomorrow, tomorrow is probably, not going to be. <laughs> something is always going to happen. I mean, I mean, be- beginning of this year, oh, we're poised to really do well. And <laughs> now this happens, you know, it's just like, it's always something that's it leadership, always, though. and it always will be. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: leadership. Leadership is 100% prepare for disaster.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I've discovered that on, on the greatest days in the world, you lose sleep because, you know, the percentage chance of tomorrow being bad is very high. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. So I want to get into some of your other companies here and actually spread the word about uh, some of the stuff you're doing because I've tasted your peanut butter bourbon and it's awesome. Uh, but we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. You've got this company, it's growing. Did you happen to find the right personalities to work with you as you trained the company to run more or less without you? What were you looking for in specific characteristics of people who could manage this kind of successful endeavor?
2: Sure. I was hoping that the people that had been with us on the rocket ride were the right people to keep running the company. That is not what happened.
0: Was there a grieving process? Was that hard for you?
2: No, not for me. No, I, when I was ready to go, I was ready to go, but I realized, you know, that I needed to do other things when I, I got bored. Yeah. You know, my job went from everything to one or two things. And
0: You're a serial entrepreneur. You want to get the rocket into orbit. You don't want to sit on the space right. station.
2: I like building the rocket, not so much the ride all the time. I'll take the ride for a while, then get me off. It's just a ride. Yeah. You know. So coming back to people, I went through a couple CEOs to get to where we are today. And I think what I ignored was the fact that the core values were not uh, the same core values that I had of Mm -hmm. these other leaders. And I um, my bad. I take full responsibility for that. But it it came down to a certain point where I heard what was going on. The culture was deteriorating. A lot of internal issues. Revenue was high and we weren't making money. And I'm going, what is going on? I had Finally, I had people calling me and my kids called me and said, Dad, something is really wrong over there. I started diving into it and something was really wrong. The culture had been decimated. They were running by uh, numbers and not by values and vision. And it was very much all about metrics. And I think anytime you... Uh, Try to manage by metrics, you are playing with dynamite.
0: And why is that? I'm curious.
2: Well, because usually metric, I mean, metrics are important. Measurements are important. I don't want to devalue that. But when you have opposing metrics, and I don't know, it's pretty hard not to have opposing metrics within an organization. I think you have to be really careful. Otherwise, you set up you really set your culture up in a way that is not healthy.
0: It gets Darwinian.
2: Oh, yeah, very quickly. And it did. It did, not only in that, but also in hiring other people coming in that had a completely different set of core values that were very metric-driven. And a lot of times that, well, that did not fit well with the culture that I had created early on. It got to the point where literally I came in with our existing group today and I fired everybody on the top floor in one day.
0: Hmm. I don't know how you managed the transition at that point, but you felt it was that important that to create that kind of
2: chaos. Otter would not have survived another six months at the rate it was going down.
0: Was that because there was just so much turnover and people were burned out and there were just hurt feelings and lack of passion?
2: It was leadership. It was leadership, and I'm not taking it away anything from those people. They were operating with in what they knew and what they grew up in, and uh, it was not working at Otter. The leadership at the time, I think, was probably better at closing down a business than growing a business, and uh, that was the probably the just part of who they were, and there's a place for that out there, but that was certainly not Otter. And so to let everybody go and regain the trust of otters that when we came back in, I mean, it was tough. It was surgery. It was open-heart surgery. We had to really um, live and walk the talk of what we were saying, that we were going back to where we came from, that we were operating in integrity, that we were open book because that's otter that's how it is today some people like that some people don't but uh we're very uh transparent in everything and we have an amazing leadership team today that um is all operating in line with the core values and the vision of the company
0: that's amazing. You took uh, the money, some of the money from your success there and you started several other companies. I want to just focus on one because it's the one that I know about the most because you guys have been generous in giving us sample bottles of spirits. <laughs> you make a great gin. You make a fantastic bourbon. And then occasionally you have some fun. I actually had a little bit of your peanut butter bourbon the other day. It's great for dessert, by the way. Oh, um, thank you. And you've got all sorts of liqueurs that you can pour over ice cream and all kinds of stuff like that. What lessons did you take from building OtterBox to starting? Well, first of all, everybody's going to wonder now, give me the names of these, the gin, the bourbon. What do we need to be looking for at the local store? So
2: yeah, Drytown Gin is, uh, it's an award-winning gin and I was it's never a huge... It's so sh- good.
0: That's all, that's all we drink here. When we make a gin drink, that's it. We only use Drytown. Oh,
2: town. well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The gin is amazing. The bourbon um, is fantastic. Old Elk is the brand of of our bourbon, and we're coming out with a uh, weeded whiskey here. Is about to come out. Uh, Rye'll come out. So we've got some other ones that are we just have at our uh, tasting room. There are small blends that we do with that we our distillers play around with, and so we introduce some really. Uh, a sour mash we have and a, uh, a cast in a, you know, in a wine cast, things like that. We have some experimental stuff, but the main thing is really the old elk bourbon. Mm-hmm. and then um dry town dry town then we have nuku which is a uh, that's right
0: that's the uh, almost like a dessert uh liqueur yeah
2: it's a liqueur a creamed uh bourbon so good it, and it really is it's just cream and bourbon we well, do a peppermint version else
0: you do a peppermint at christmas
2: yeah for christmas we do that and we'll probably have some other flavors of that come out in the future we are working on some other flavored whiskeys uh uh, chocolate whiskey uh, will be coming out soon. Well, you
0: know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mix your chocolate whiskey with your peanut butter whiskey. I'm going to oh, call it Reese's, oh, a Reese's. Reese's, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what, what lessons did you take from Otterbox? And you said, okay, from the ground up, we're going to start this other company. Or maybe you were just an investor, I don't know, but we're going to start this other company. And this is what I'm going to make sure to do this time. Any lessons for everybody out there?
2: Uh, I mean, the leadership at uh, Old Elk is from otter our c e o was one of our top sales guys at otter really understands business numbers people markets branding i mean we we do spend a lot of money on branding and a lot of time on just creating a label or a cork or anything like yeah. that. We really invest the time and the money into that. And yeah, I, it's really starting to pay off. I mean, the, the, that company's growing exponentially as well. We expected this year to be a breakout year, but it <laughs> maybe it, maybe we'll have to wait for next year. I hear liquor selling really well. I don't know if that's the truth. Yeah. I heard no, it. it's it's doing great. I mean, but people aren't supposed to go out. Yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. supposed to go to the liquor store. So that's and then you obviously your on premises shot right now so we've actually shifted to making hand sanitizer so right now we're making hand sanitizers in 55 gallon drums and shipping it to first responders and hospitals and um, uh, that's doing really well so even over at otter our engineers are designing and 3d printing face masks and things like that for first responders working with some other people on uh breathing apparatuses just to help people through this. How do you split split the devices so you can run them on more than one person? So
0: Kurt, that's amazing.
2: Yeah. So we're we're trying to respond to the needs first locally and then branching out from there.
0: Kurt, one final question. You know, you we started this interview with me asking why your life plan or something like a life plan was so important. You then went at OtterBox and if you've been there for more than a year. You actually made an opportunity for anybody who works there to have their life plan done, which was a day process. This was with your your brother and his team.
2: Yeah. It's two days. Two days. They go away for two days. And yeah. it's not cheap. No, it's, it's expensive.
0: Yeah. Why was that so important for you?
2: You know, I think it goes back to originally my primary aim, and that is that people discover who they are and what they really want. So I talk about this all the time, and it's probably a whole nother podcast, but How often do people give themselves permission to say, what do I really want? Who really am I? And how is that expressed in my life? And most people never even ask that question. What do I really want? They do from the start what somebody else expects them to do. You know, they go to college and, hey, maybe they really wanted to be a plumber. It's those kind of questions uh, that I think it's important that people start to ask themselves those, those questions early on. What do I really want? What do I really like? And it's hard to come to grips with that when you're 20, when you're 18. But I always tell those kids, I say, listen, start asking yourselves those questions because if you don't start asking them now, when will you start asking them? And how far down the road will you be that you can actually do what you really want to do? And uh, I believe we were given permission to ask, you know, ask, what this is what I want.
0: If you align Otter's vision or any company's vision with the personal desire and vision of the person who's working with you, you've got a, a symbiotic relationship there that's just jet fuel.
2: You bet. And we've had people leave after their life plans.
0: Well, you even told me that. You said one of the great benefits of having everybody do their life plan is the, is the people who need to go figure it out.
2: Yeah, well, I want them to do what they really want to do. I want them to follow their passion, their heart, their desire, their calling. You know, I, I don't want somebody there that's not really there.
0: Kurt, this has been an amazing conversation. I think it's going to be our, one of our listeners' absolute favorites. I thank you so much for your time. I, I, everybody go get yourself an Otter Box for your uh, phone and get yourself some peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's called PBW. PBW. PBW.
0: Well, get go get the Old Elk and get the Dry Town Gin first. and. Uh, Next time we'll have a conversation, we'll have a couple glasses of that. We'll have a real deep conversation, I think.
2: That would be great. (laughs) We'll do it. Hey, we'll go do it at the ranch in Wyoming or at your new place. I'd love to do that.
0: I love it, Kurt. God bless you. Bless
2: you, too.
0: Take care. JJ, it gets me excited about where we're going as a company. Seriously. I hope one day we pull into our parking lot and we realize our building is too small, even though it's not yeah. b- open yet. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. not built. <laughs>
1: I and the thing you said in the very beginning too is their whole family is so generous and is really using all of their success to yeah. get people have more an jobs impact in the world and have an impact in the world. I mean, it's really unbelievable the impact that that whole family is. He had. really
0: is like that. Yeah. I mean he's thinking through his business. like he's he's not thinking just about his business. It's about the business so that we can accomplish X, and I think that's a huge motivator for he and Nancy. Super inspirational people, also just incredibly practical advice. All right, JJ, here we go. We're going to a billion. I'm in. I'm all in. Yeah, we're going to go to a billion. Okay. Okay. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes, Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a StoryBrand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.